Welcome to On the Record with Tiffany. There are heroes throughout San Antonio, men and women that go the extra mile to make lives better. During the next hour, you'll be inspired as we introduce you to these unsung heroes. And now here's your host, Tiffany Jones-Smith. And we're back with another episode of On the Record with Tiffany. And we're going to revisit... Uh, some of our previous uh, information in regards to legislation here in, in the great state of Texas with one of my favorite representatives, Representative Aaron Sweener. How are you today? I'm doing all right. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Just trying to, to stay out of this Texas heat. It's been uh, sweltering here in San Antonio where we're located. It has sure been warm. And of course, it's had that trademark Texas humidity where you go outside and you, you know, get a free sauna treatment. Right. And you're breathing fire. It feels like you're just breathing fire every time you <laughs> walk outside. Maybe that maybe that's why I'm such a, a, a dragon when it comes down to uh, going after legislation and stuff that we need to to get right in in this state. Well, the last time I had you on, we were talking about a wonderful critical infrastructure piece that you you wrote and authored, uh, House Bill uh, 2275. Uh, and that bill made it, uh, was amended to Senate Bill 3 and uh, voted in on May 24th. But then on May 30th was uh, in, a, in a closed session it was stripped out of uh, Senate Bill 3. Can you tell us, first, can you recap what it what the critical infrastructure bill was? And uh, then can we talk about why it was stripped out? Uh, of course, House Bill 2275 is a piece of legislation I worked on to try and improve the resiliency of our local utilities and our healthcare facilities. So what it would have done is create a grant program uh, that we would have planned on funding with some federal dollars that come from the American Rescue Plan. And that grant program would have funded resiliency grants for our local electric utilities, our local water utilities, and for backup generation for our hospitals, nursing homes, assisted living centers, and dialysis centers. Yes. And (laughs) and, I was inspired to file, file this because of the blackout. We already have been working on some legislation to try and modernize our grid and the winter storm sure pointed out the need for that and pointed out the need for greater resiliency across the board. Um, you know, we, you know, official counts of storm deaths are still under 200, but uh, BuzzFeed News actually did some investigative reporting. They do do that, I swear. I know everyone thinks of BuzzFeed as a place for quizzes. They actually have a great investigative team. Uh, and they looked at excess deaths during the storm, and it looks like the real number is in the 700s. Um, and we can presume that those are mostly medical deaths, people who were unable to access the type of health care they needed um, and therefore ended up dying when they otherwise would not have. And I say we can presume those are mostly medical because if it was something like uh, hypothermia or an injury um, or carbon monoxide poisoning, it probably would have been more accurately categorized um, as a storm death, but because it was because these deaths were presumably medical, they might not have necessarily been tied back to the winter storm. Um, so, so looking at that, we knew that to keep Texans safe, we need more resiliency. Mm-hmm. And we've seen that just last week when the Texas grid is once again flying a little too close to the sun, a little too close for comfort for a lot of us. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, we have to have backup plans for our backup plans. And resiliency is, is how we do that. So it was a piece of legislation that I was going to create the structure for us to come in and fund with federal dollars. Uh, it passed through the House with a supermajority, went over to the Senate, uh, and the lieutenant governor never referred it to committee. So that bill never got a hearing, never got a chance for a hearing in the Senate. So fast forward a couple of weeks, Senate Bill 3 is on the floor on the House side. Uh, I worked with the chair of state affairs, Chris Patty. We added uh, the bill as an amendment, you know, House voted on it again. Again, a super majority of the House voted to move it forward. Uh, and my understanding is uh, the lieutenant governor was just not interested in those provisions. Um, and I, I think that's really unfortunate because we only have three choices here. 
the choices to not invest in the resiliency of our utilities and our healthcare facilities uh, and risk suffering, suffering that we've already seen happen. Uh, the second choice is for us to do that and to pass that cost on to consumers, uh, which Texans are already seeing spikes in their bills related to the electric storm. I um, don't think passing that cost onto consumers right now is particularly fair. Or the third option is we take some of the $16.7 billion of federal money we have to spend and use that to address these resiliency projects. I think the third option is by far the best choice for the people of Texas, uh, both fiscally uh, and for their health and safety. Um, So I was disappointed it didn't make it across the finish line. Uh, that said, we're going to have another bite at this apple. I don't know if you want me to get into that yet, Tiffany, if you want to take my time. Are you thinking like about specials? A question and I took over. But yeah, we're, we're going to have at least two special sessions. Mm-hmm. And um, we don't know everything that's on, will be on those special session calls. That's at the discretion of the governor. Uh, but one of the things he's already indicated and publicly committed to is that the fall special session Uh, We're going to take up redistricting, and then we're also going to take up spending that $16.7 billion of undedicated funds from the American Rescue Plan. And so when we take up how to spend that, I'm going to be there fighting for us to spend it on infrastructure. Well, I will be there with you, girl, because I've already uh, sent out, um, now I'm with my other hat, you know, I'm, I'm wearing my host hat today, but but uh, my day job is with Texas Kidney Foundation, and we we sent a letter of support in in favor of of uh, the critical infrastructure. We we copied them on what you you uh, so so valiantly put together, and we said, you know, you just reenacted the chronic kidney disease task force. All of these. Uh, um, different uh, aspects of of paying attention to vulnerable populations. You can't just abandon what we know is in the best interest of vulnerable populations. And there are certain groups that cannot be without lights and water. And dialysis patients must have potted water. They have to have... uh, electricity, wonderful things that, that you included in that, that bill was uh, smart meters. Technology that has been around, by the way, and that should have been enacted and utilized in Texas without having to pass legislation to get it <laughs> into the great state of Texas. <laughs> you know, I mean, we have to get back to doing the things that are right because they are right, not because we're trying to uh, to divide against party lines or because we're we're trying to save money where we shouldn't be trying to. In in certain cases, you have to spend money, and in regards to our infrastructure, if we don't spend money, this one time cost, we are going to pay tremendously. What was the the cost burden to the state of Texas? For uh, Winter Storm Uri, the cost, a fraction of that cost would have handled what we're dealing with in terms of our infrastructure being upgraded. A fraction of the cost, because it was over a trillion dollars to uh, to Uri. You know, not spending those dollars earlier has cost us more in the long run. It's cost us a lot of money, both in dollars, but also in human lives, also mm-hmm. in business reputation of the state of Texas. Uh, We just had an announcement this past week that um, an electric vehicle company uh, decided to locate their plant in um, Oklahoma instead of in Texas because of concerns about the reliability of the grid. Um, This is something that has an effect all across the state of Texas, and we have to do some work to fix it. And you mentioned you mentioned smart meters. I think it's a great time to talk about them because they've been in the news a little bit. Um, because some people figured out that they were signed up with smart meters and also with programs with their smart thermostats that allowed their power company to uh, adjust the thermostat in their house. Um, 
quite frankly, a lot of people were a little surprised, didn't realize they had signed up for these programs. Uh, but I want to say they are fantastic programs that are part of what made sure we kept the lights on during the conservation notice last week. And the great thing about programs like that is they do offer an incentive to consumers to do that um, so that individual Texans are getting these incentives to conserve um, instead of just big industrial uh, big industrial companies who currently have contracts with ERCOT to use less electricity during times and get paid for it. So if big companies are going to get paid, let's get individual Texans paid too. Uh, but the great thing about smart meters from, from the area you're more concerned about, Tiffany, is um, they allow a power company to be much more specific in how they do a rolling black or brownout. Uh, what we saw during the winter storm is that most power companies, the way their circuits were set up is they had to turn individual neighborhoods on and off. It was big swaths of homes that they could turn on and off at once. But if you have smart meters at a home, you can do it down to that individual meter. And you can also tell um, if a house is receiving power or not. That's something that was a big deal because at least in my corner of the world where we had a ton of ice damage, mm-hmm. well as the rolling blackouts, uh, we had issues where Cardinalis Electric Co-op would come turn the power back on for a neighborhood assume everybody's outage was fixed and not realize the back corner of the neighborhood had a line down and didn't have any power still. Smart meters let the um, let your meter talk to the power company in real time so they know if they have power or not. And it lets them go and be very particular and do it house by house. So let's say we're in a situation, we need to do a rolling blackout, we need everybody to lose power for an hour, but we're going to take turns. It will allow them to come down a street and say, we're going to turn off all these houses, except this one who's told us that they depend on an oxygen machine or that they have a home dialysis system or they have some other medical need to not lose power. Um, And it would allow them to protect those particular homes while still being able to have the impact of a rolling outage in terms of saving, saving the grid from catastrophe, which is the reason you do a rolling blackout in the first place is to keep from losing the whole grid. Um, So it just, it gives the companies a lot more flexibility allows them to be very particular um, in who loses power and who doesn't, and also allows them, if there is an outage that isn't a rolling blackout, you know, something that's physical line damage, it would allow them to go prioritize the homes that they know need that power back to save lives. So there's just a huge amount of advantages. Um, And then no downside to it. There really isn't. There Um, really is. You're listening to On the Record with Tiffany on 930 AM, The Answer. And come on back and listen to us a little bit more because we are going to talk about what you can do as a Texan to promote us getting this through. And you've been listening to On the Record with Tiffany. I'm Tiffany Smith, Chief Executive Officer of the Texas Kidney Foundation, and I'm here to talk to you about your kidney health. Health is the most important asset we possess. COVID-19 has exposed the unhealthy nature of our population. One in three Americans are at risk for chronic kidney disease. In absolute numbers, that translates into about 600,000 San Antonians. Have you been diagnosed with diabetes? Have you been diagnosed with hypertension? Do you take blood pressure medicine? Do you have heart disease? Have you experienced heart failure? Do you have a history of dialysis or kidney failure in your family? If you said yes to two or more of those questions, you need to come and see us. Are you a part of that one in three? Is your sister, is your brother, is your mother? Texas Kidney Foundation offers free screenings. All you have to do is go to our website, www.txkidney.org. Check out our free screenings. You can either come to our office for an in-office visit, or we can come to you. You can schedule a screening or go to a screening near you. And we're back with my special guest, Representative Erin Sweener. Um, She is the author of uh, what I think is one of the best pieces of legislation uh, that that I saw come through this past session, and it is uh, the critical infrastructure bill, which would support um, vulnerable populations. 
and actually uh, help help uh, with resiliency for our our power grid. So let's talk about what we can do to make this uh, come to fruition because we're not we're not dead in the water yet, people. We can we can uh, band together and get this going. Yeah, well, we are expecting special sessions uh, this year. The joke is that there's nothing special about a special session. It's mostly <laughs> uh, but the governor calls the special session and he says what we can discuss as a legislature. He names the topics. Obviously, we still decide how to get there. Uh, he has already publicly said that one of the things that will be on the call for our fall special session is uh, spending $16.7 billion of money we have from the American Rescue Plan. That's a federal piece of legislation related to COVID. And there's a big pot of money that has very few rules. We are not allowed to use it to reduce taxes, according to the federal government, and we are not allowed to use it for pension programs. Other than that, we have a huge amount of flexibility. One of the most fiscally responsible things we can do is spend it on infrastructure. Mm-hmm. It's the big worry when you get a huge pot of federal money is that you'll spend it somewhere and then you, you create this expectation of funding, but we don't have the federal revenues in the next biennium and therefore we have to cut a program. You know, We don't want to create programs just to cut them. So what we want to do is put them into good one-time expenses, things mm-hmm. um, where there's an immediate need, but that we don't necessarily need to fund the next biennium. So things like infrastructure are perfect. And we are right to modernize our utility infrastructure. We are right to invest in things like smart meters and demand response programs that help us keep the lights on and avoid widespread outages. Uh, We are right to invest in our water utilities to make sure they can keep the water flowing uh, because, you know, we talk a lot about the power going out during the blackout, but over half of Texans did not have potable water in the days after the storm. Uh, so investing in our water utilities is critical, too. And it's also critical to make sure that our healthcare facilities are able to keep the lights on regardless of what happens with the grid. So these are one-time investments. They would put Texans to work. So they would actually help stimulate the economy as well. All of these are things that have to physically be built and installed by someone. Um, it's, a very, it's a very fiscally responsible move for us to make. And as, as Texans... You know, we we have consistently, I mean, that's a part of the, the Texas uh, mantra, if there ever were one, is fiscal responsibility. So uh, for us to, when we're looking at this, that should be the prime focus on, on for everybody that's, that's making this decision. We should be focused on what is fiscally responsible, what is uh, responsible in terms of human life, uh, this is a win-win across the board because uh, you can't afford to not upgrade our critical infrastructure. It has to be done. The question is, how is it going to be done? So the th- your, your uh, three possibilities uh, that ends with, with us u- utilizing this, this, uh, money that's that that we that's already coming in from the federal government it's the best most uh reliable way that we can do this we just have to structure it in such a manner that that uh texans benefit and that we get the work done that should be done absolutely agree And what we really need is for everyone to reach out to your state rep, your state senator, the lieutenant governor, the governor, and tell them that that's how you want to see us spend this $16.7 billion. Ask them to spend it on you. You. We need to spend it on our infrastructure. That's right. Show that you have, let's show Texans that we care about Texans. And the way that we do that is, we spend the money on critical infrastructure, the the very thing that supports every single human being that is in this state. There is not a single person in the state of Texas who is not affected by lights and water being disrupted. 100%. If it happens in your area, you are affected by it. We all we all have electricity. We all have water. So. 
let's fix the very things that must be fixed. They have to be fixed, period. There, no, you know, hard stop. This has to be fixed. <laughs> we don't, we don't have a, uh, an option not to fix it. And every time we have, have, uh, any sort of of weather issue, we are facing problems with the the uh, critical infrastructure. We just saw that what like two weeks ago you were discussing earlier. We just saw that with the heat wave. There are many different ways that we can have problems with critical infrastructure that that are that don't look exactly like winter storm Uri. But this is not a a question of if this will happen again. It is a question of when it will happen again and will we be prepared when it does. So if you've never reached out to your senator or your representative or uh, the lieutenant governor or the governor's office, now's the time for you to do that (laughs) because we have a voice and you have agency. You can, you have power. You have more power than you think. And your power is within your pen. It's, it's at your keyboard. Reach out to those, uh, reach out to who, whoever is your representative and reach out to the governor's office to let them know that you don't ever want to see another winter storm Uri and you do want to see critical infrastructure resiliency. And here's the other thing I'll say, um, Tiffany, is folks shouldn't just email. They shouldn't just call. Ask for a meeting. You know, in, in the last days of session, we really don't have space to take constituent meetings. April, May, they're, they're, too, they're too wild for us. We're too booked. But now that it's the interim, we have space to take those meetings. Our staff has space to take those meetings. What I tell folks is usually you should be able to get a meeting with your state rep one-on-one. That should be doable provided it's not April or May in a session year, then we're mm-hmm. just, but your state Senator, you might need to meet with staff, but it's still worth asking them for a meeting personally, and then use that time to talk about why it's important. That's how you get an issue on our radar and make sure we follow it and chase it and keep it in our view throughout the process. And even if you don't, even if you aren't able to have that meeting, the number of contacts that make an impression on us are surprisingly small. Not enough people reach out to our elected. So just a dozen folks reaching out and saying, hey, what are you doing to make sure we get funding for this? That makes a real impression on elected officials. Just a dozen. And I know everybody on this knows a dozen neighbors mm-hmm. that they can talk to and work with to reach out to their elected officials and really make a splash. Because this is, it, it's something that brings, that, that affects every text. Texan and affects every city. It affects every rural space. So if you're within our our uh, earshot, if you're in ear, within earshot of this broadcast, ask for a meeting. Reach out to reach out to your senator, reach out to your your representative, uh, and ask for a meeting. I love that because uh, I've met with with uh, representatives and. Uh, you're right. You know, you have you have a few minutes to actually get your point across as to why this is important. And those personal stories about what happened to you during the winter storm, uh, those resonate with with your representatives and senators. Always remember, this is this is Texas. We are our family in this state. And when you go and see your your uh, state rep and your senators, what you will find is that uh, regardless of their political affiliation, they're going to be warm to you and listen to what you have to say because they are elected officials. They didn't get into the job because they hate people. They got into the job because they uh, believe in our, in our state and what can be done and accomplished within this state. So remember, you can talk to them. They put their pants on one leg at a time, just like you do. And this is an important matter. It's important enough for you to, uh, for us to pick up our phones 
and and uh, get to our keyboards to request time on their schedule so that we can talk about uh, what really matters, and that's uh, human life and the preservation of it. And improving our critical infrastructure does exactly that. It, it preserves human life. We will not have the deaths that we experienced uh, during this last winter storm. We can, we can prevent some of that. And you've been listening to On the Record with Tiffany on 9.30 a.m. The Answer, where we, we bring on people of all different uh, persuasions, different polit- political ideologies, so that we can understand the full spectrum of what's going on. And thank you so much, Representative Sweeney. She's going to come back and we're going to talk a little bit about what we can expect next session and how we're going to uh, impact the world for Texans, the world of Texas, which is all of the world to us. (laughs) You've been listening to On the Record with Tiffany. And we're back with Representative Aaron Sweener. And we're talking about special session because uh, we believe that that uh, critical infrastructure should be uh, viewed during special session. And since the the uh, governor has said that he's going to look at uh, what's going on with the how we're going to spend the 16 billion that's coming from the uh, federal government, then we still have a shot at, at uh, critical infrastructure. So for those of us who are regular folks, when special session comes, are we allowed to come in and speak? What, what happens during special session? Can you tell us that? Well, I I should own, this will be my first special session as an elected official. Uh, I was frequenting the Capitol during the 2017 special session, but more in the activist capacity. Uh, (laughs) Absolutely. Folks can come in during the special session, talk to your elected officials, talk to other folks. Um, When you talk to people who represent you, quantity Um, Like the quantity of constituents reaching out to is always valuable. When you talk to folks who aren't your elected official, focus on quality. That person who has that story about what the blackout meant to them, that that is impactful and move somebody. That's the stories to use for the people who who don't represent you. Don't use form emails for people who don't represent you. They're fine for people who do. But you can come into the Capitol, do activism. It's going to be, I think, much easier and more active now that um, so many of us are vaccinated, uh, you know, I know my office you know, was not open outside of appointments this past session. I think that's something we'll be able to change now uh, that everyone in the in our office is vaccinated. And and so I expect it'll be very robust and we will have hearings on legislation like we do during other sessions or during a normal session. And members of the public will have the opportunity to come testify. Now, special sessions are only 30 days long. Uh, so there's not as much time as there normally is to do this work. Um, and so it's really important that people be ready and talking to people in advance. Now, we don't know what the topic of this special session is going to be yet. The governor has announced the date, July 8th, but he has not announced the topics. And we can only work on issues that Governor Abbott puts on the call for the special session. So we're waiting for that. I don't believe this is going to be the session where we talk about spending the $16.7 billion. My understanding is that will happen in the fall. But with everything that just happened with the electric grid and the fact that we were under a conservation notice last week, it is very possible. It is very possible that um, the special session will include uh, something related to ERCOT and resiliency in the blackouts. So this work on resiliency for the grid and our medical facilities very well may fit into that call. Well, I will be uh, primed for that. Okay, so if we are trying to get ourselves ready for this call, I mean, let's look at that. That's that's just, what, two or three weeks away. That's not very far. What would you do to prepare if you were uh, a regular citizen? Um, yeah, I, I would... Follow the news. The biggest thing is figuring out what is going to be on the call. Um, the thing we all anticipate will be on this one is uh, 
I, I'm going to try and say it with a straight face, but voter integrity. Um, but the, the elections bill that Texas Democrats walked, that I was one of, walked out on last session. That's the issue that the governor has publicly said will be on this call. Um, and that's probably going to take up most of the call. That will take up a lot of the time. Uh, but so we will see what else comes up and is part of that. But we just have to wait and see. It really is at the governor's discretion. Well, I'm still of the mindset that we need to uh, write as many letters and take as many meetings as we can with with our representatives so that we get critical infrastructure on everybody's uh, radar. Because it's just looking at, at a couple of weeks ago, I'm like, this is going to happen sooner rather than later. <laughs> We're going to have a major problem with this sooner rather than later. And the heat in in Texas alone. I mean, look at, we're not even into July yet. And we're already having to conserve energy for air conditioning. So imagine what we're going to be like in August. Absolutely. No, I mean, we definitely have concerns about reliability. You know, this, this recent conservation notice was instigated because three things happened at once. Uh, one is that we had a very surprising number thermal generation under what's called a forced outage. Now, forced outage is not maintenance. You know, maintenance is like you stop to get your tires rotated. Generation do that and schedule it normally. A forced outage is your tire blew out on the side of the road and you have to stop and fix it before you can drive on. So what facilities are telling us is they have forced outages, something's broken and they have to stop and fix it. So we had an unusual amount of that, um, over twice the number that ERCOT projects for. Um, and then we had a lull in wind production, and then we had hotter than normal temperatures for June. So those three things combined meant that um, we did not anticipate, or we were worried that we would not have enough electricity to meet demand. So that's why ERCOT worked with industrial consumers and large commercial to lower their demand. It's why they issued the conservation notice as Texans to take measures to save electricity, um, and it, it worked. You know, we managed to get three thousand. Uh, megawatts below what the projected demand was going to be because of all of our work on conservation. So good job, everybody. But it's it's nerve wracking to see that this combination of unanticipated things happened in June. And we all know we have three more months of hot weather. Shoot, the hottest days I ever remember are always in September. <laughs> and it it means that we're really worried about being caught on our back foot and having major outage issues for the state. The cold is dangerous in some very specific ways, uh, particularly because we were all iced in during the winter storm. But the heat can be very dangerous here in Texas, too. So we, we do have to be aware of that. And then the folks who rely on medical equipment, that needs power regardless of what temperature it is outside. Well, and we also have, remember, we have our hurricane season coming up. And right. Texas flooding Flooding could be just as devastating to critical infrastructure as uh, a winter storm or as a heat wave because of the water situation and electricity both being impacted by flooding. You know, and, and I mean, there are so there's a multitude of ways that uh, our critical infrastructure can be challenged. And everyone that we mentioned in its current state, our critical infrastructure is not prepared for it. Absolutely. No, and, and I think that's a great thing about a resiliency project is it mm-hmm. helps keep the lights on, helps keep the water flowing, helps mm-hmm. keep our healthcare facilities open, whether it's a hurricane, a tornado, a mm-hmm. flood, a, a power outage, a winter storm, mm-hmm. um, a, a terrorist attack, any of those situations. Us investing in resiliency helps keep Texans safe. It is all about being prepared. You know, I come from a family full of Boy Scouts. My dad was an Eagle Scout. Two of my uncles were. My grandfather was. My brother's an Eagle Scout. And they taught me always be prepared. And the state Mm -hmm. of... My, bro- my brother was a Boy Scout. My dad was over the, over his troop. And it's the same. That's right. You uh, always got to be prepared. That's that's the mantra, man. That's it. Absolutely. You have backups for your backups. That's right. That's right. And, and that's, you know, that's a very Texan 
uh, phrase there that you keep saying. I love your boots. You, you like taking pictures in those those cute little boots. Uh, yes, you have to have backups for your backups. You know, that's, that's part of us being independent and just uh, willing to to go to the wire for the things that we believe in the state and for the values that we hold, uh, that's one of the values. Backups for your backup. We were always prepared and we were not prepared with our, our uh, critical infrastructure. We are not prepared with it right now, but we, but through uh, uh, good old Texas ingenuity, our our wonderful representative Aaron Sweener has a wonderful plan that will render Texans prepared <laughs> should we choose to utilize it and i am saying we should we should utilize this because uh it is the best way for us to uh make sure that we take care of the least of these and make sure that we take care of everyone else as well. Um, you're listening to On the Record with Tiffany and stay stay with us because we're going to wrap this up with uh, Representative Sweener and we're going to talk a little bit about her story and how she got involved in all of this. Uh, she's got some interesting uh, historic first moments. You know, we had a historic first moment this this week with Juneteenth being declared a, a national holiday. And for me as an African-American woman, that was uh, was a great thing because uh, I know the shoulders that I stand on every time I'm, I'm on this show and doing the work that I do. And uh, by day, my day hat uh, with Texas Kidney Foundation, uh, much of which uh, I wouldn't have been able to do were it not for for uh, slaves being freed were not for the very people that, that I hail from being uh, recognized as human and more than just two-thirds of a, a man or woman. So this has been a, a great week, and I'm looking forward to uh, talking with the representative a little bit more about her history. I love hearing about uh, the history of, of strong women who are doing we're killing it in this this state, and and this representative is one of them. Uh, so, Representative Swainer, you're a sophomore, and you have managed to start two new caucuses that have never been there before. So, first, I'm going to let you pick which one you want to talk about first. Do you want to talk about energy, or do you want to talk about L- LBGTQ? Well, let's talk about energy a little bit since it's a more direct tie and then we'll go to LGBTQ. Yeah, this, this session, I, I founded a caucus with uh, several of my colleagues, uh, the uh, Climate, Environment and Energy Industry Caucus. Yeah, I have been a lifelong conservationist, I'm always very passionate about the environment and was disappointed when uh, I joined, when I joined the legislature to see that environmental issues were often on the black back burner uh, and climate change is, is urgent. You know, climate change is a factor in the extreme heat. We have been seeing month climate change is a factor in the winter storm because it, uh, we talk about global warming, but global weirding is a better way to think about it. Uh, but Texas is a state that is uh, deeply integrated with the energy industry and to move forward on climate change, we also have to adapt our energy industry at the same time. We can't leave Texas workers behind, uh, but we can't ignore climate change. Uh, but we're positioned really well to be energy leaders here uh, in the new energy economy that we see shifting around us every day. Uh, so we founded this caucus. I've honored that 29 of my colleagues have joined. So a fifth of the members of the House are now members of this caucus. Wow. And so we started the caucus this session thinking it would be a little bit of a slow session for us. Brand new caucus, hadn't had time to uh, do fundraising specifically for the caucus or get caucus staff. Uh, And then we had a blackout that occurred right at the intersection of all of our issues. (laughs) Um, And so we were able to uh, bring together panels of independent experts, people who unfortunately were not invited to testify on the blackout. Uh, and talk about some of these issues, particularly some of these resiliency issues and and some of the strategies to reduce energy demand. 
so it's been a, a great tool to organize us around environmental issues in the capital and climate issues. And I'm, I'm so glad we started it in <laughs> just in time for a blackout. Um, so we're, <laughs> this was just our first session, but I've got big hopes for the caucus. We're going to do a lot of fundraising in the interim. And I hope next session we'll be able to have a fellowship program where we bring in young Texans with environmental science and climate science and energy industry expertise and have them work in the building on policy, because that's how we get a lot of sustainable change is we get people who are passionate about these issues working in the capital. So what made you decide, okay, seeing that, that people weren't, that the energy issues were falling to the back burner, conservation issues were falling to the back burner. How did you pick like the first people to, to approach about your caucus? I uh, reached out to some of my colleagues from around the state. I can't remember exactly how many founding members we had. It was 15 or 16. Uh, But I wanted to have a broad swath of people from different parts of the state. Uh, So I made sure to get some of my colleagues from Dallas, who I knew were passionate about these issues, some of my colleagues from El Paso, some of my colleagues from uh, the Houston area, some of my colleagues uh, from San Antonio in the Valley. We wanted a broad group because that makes us strong. Um, too often, you know, people from my corner of the world near Austin get dismissed as being, you know, the wackadoo in Viros, <laughs> Texas. But we have environmental advocates in every part of the state. And what that looks like looks a little bit different on the ground um, for each individual person. And that's great. That's fine. It is going to be different. Um, and so we have uh, a group of officers, you know, my, my vice chair, Ron Reynolds, our first vice chair is from Fort Bend County. Second vice chair, John Rosenthal is actually uh, an energy industry engineer. He's from Harris County. Gina Inahosa from here in Austin serves as the secretary and Jasmine Crockett from up in Dallas serves as the treasurer. So we've got a great group of folks engaged and members from every part of Texas. And to me, that's, that's what's really critical in making sure we were successful is that we started with a broad group and, and worked from there. And you know, our membership has more than doubled since we founded. So when, when uh, you say you're a con- conservationist, what does that mean? It means I, I care about the natural world and believe that it's important for us to focus on. And that's both for the natural world on its own and also how it interacts with us as humans. But in general, what what is good for the natural world is also good for us. Clean air, clean water are critical things to keep Texans safe and healthy. Uh, And that's something that actually has been made even more clear by the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, Because one of the theories for why we've seen disproportionate impacts on people of color from COVID-19 is exposure to air pollution. Uh, Because we know that our communities of color are more likely to be exposed to high levels of pollutants. Recreational access is also incredibly important. Every Texas kid deserves place, places to play and explore outside. Not every kid has that. Um, one small but very big and important win for me this session is we actually allocated money in the state budget for state park acquisition. We don't have anywhere near the parks we need in Texas to meet the recreational needs of Texans, much less needs for wildlife or ecosystem services. And so that that was a big win to me that we were able to get money for new parks in the state of Texas. I think conservation also means thinking about the long term. You know, it's the idea is it's not just about your children, it's about their children and their children and trying to plan for the future generations and leaving the planet a little bit better than we found it. Mm-hmm. I, I like the idea of making a smaller uh, carbon footprint, you know, recycling things and not, you know, with, with, uh, my husband and me and my kids, we just moved to a new house. And, uh, when we did, I was like, we're not buying anything new. We're not buying any new stuff. We're gonna, uh, if we buy something, then it it will be gently used and, will just make it fit because you don't have to have a house full of new furniture when you move to a new house. You know, (laughs) you don't have to have everything, you know, spank brand new when you move to a new space, you know, that, that reduces what's going into our landfill that reduces and, and it makes you appreciative of what you have. 
you know, as opposed to to just buying a bunch of stuff. So I agree with you on on that. Can you tell us a little bit about your other caucus that you started? Yes. So when I was, oh, let me actually go back a little bit. I was elected in 2018. Before I was elected, there were two out LGBTQ members in the Texas legislature. The session before that, there was only one. Wow. So, or I'm sorry, it was two sessions back. There was only one. And before that, there had never been more than one LGBTQ out LGBTQ issues serving at any time. So the 2018 elections happened. Three more out LGBTQ women were elected, bringing it to a total of five of us in the legislature. And then in 2020, we elected a sixth. So, uh, but in 2018, one of my colleagues, Representative Mary Gonzalez, went, this is so exciting. We now have five out members. Let's start a caucus. And we did it. The five of us founded the caucus. We all served in the first officer positions. And it's, it's still going strong. And it's been a really important tool for us to organize to push back against bad legislation. You know, the, the sad thing, especially as we talk about these issues that are so critical, like the grid and healthcare and climate change, is that the legislature spends way too much time picking culture wars. And LGBTQ folks are one of the frequent, frequent targets. And so we've been able to organize, uh, mitigate bills to make them not as bad, uh, but preferably just stop bad bills in their tracks. We did stop all anti-LGBTQ bills this past session. And then hopefully, as as uh, Texans continue to advocate for it and as more elected officials come on board, hopefully we'll be able to pass some good legislation, things like the Equality Act, that makes sure Texans aren't discriminated against in the workplace or in housing or in education uh, because of their sexual orientation or gender identity. Um, those are the things we're working towards. And uh, it's just been a phenomenal group of people to work with. Well, I... I commend you for for standing up for what you believe in in uh the legislation because this is a this is a, a difficult thing to do you know especially right now there's so much going on that it's almost it it doesn't make sense to me for us to uh hone in on LBGTQ when we've got like We've got major problems happening. Why are we trying to go into somebody else's uh, personal life and and root around? I don't, <laughs> I don't. I've never understood why that that has even been a political uh, tool that that some people want to use. Uh, it's it's unfortunate, um, and it is unfortunate that we spend so much time, you know, picking fights that. Mm-hmm. And I, I say we, I'm not the one picking this fight. Let me exactly. <laughs> but, you know, exactly. we have other party. people picking fights. <laughs> you have a party that's You're empowered. just willing to stand up for yourself. And that's good. <laughs> we have a party that's in power in this state and they have primary elections. And the folks making the decision in a lot of those primaries are very reactionary and often punch down at communities of color. They punch down at the LGBTQ community um, and they attack women's health care access a lot. And so those become major points of debate every legislative session. And I, and I want to be frank, it's exhausting and it leads to bad governance. Um, and this maybe brings everything back full circle. Uh, Tiffany, this past session, I was working so hard on 2275. I was walking the floor, getting signatures, getting co-authors. You know, I ended up having a majority of the House signed on to the legislation. You did, you had 88 authors. I, I, I mean, I worked hard on that bill. And there was one day where I was trying to work on it and I got stopped in my tracks because I realized that my chair on the public health committee was planning to vote out a bill that attacked trans kids. And I had to put down my infrastructure bill and go work and try to stop that vote from happening try to change anybody's mind on it. And so the reason I bring that up is focusing on these culture war issues takes time away from us addressing the things that actually make a difference for Texans. You know, we're going to go back for the special session in July, absolutely anticipate that elections will be on there. um, And we're all going to be in big fights about this election bill that's going to keep us from working on things like the grid, things like healthcare access, uh, things like public education, and that's that's unfortunate. You know, that's what Texans 
want us to work on. They want us to make sure that their kids have great schools. They want us to make sure that they can afford health care. Uh, they want us to make sure that we protect their right to vote. They don't want us to go fight over hyper-partisan issues. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the majority has been calling that play a lot this session. And it doesn't have to be that way. It was very different last session. You know, there still were controversial bills, but we spent way more time on public education than we did on those controversial bills. This past session, we spent more time on controversy than anything else. And And it cost the people of Texas. You know, let's see if during these specials, uh, we can get ourselves back to the business of handling business for Texas. And that is, uh, we need to focus on critical infrastructure. We need to focus on the things that affect most Texans and stay away from from uh, culture wars because it's, it's not worth our time. Our time is best spent doing the things that are going to improve the state, doing the things that will improve critical infrastructure because we have a major problem headed our way with infrastructure. And throwing out hand grenades about cultural differences is not going to fix the problem that we have with critical infrastructure. It's actually going to exacerbate it because the problem won't be fixed. And when we experience the an actual problem like we just did with uh, Winterstorm Uri, we're going to be in a, in, in a bad place. So... Thank you so much, Representative Sweener, for coming in and for uh, talking to us, for zooming in <laughs> on <the> Zoom calls. <laughs> uh, you've been listening to On the Record with Tiffany on 930 AM, The Answer. And uh, we love having people from all different walks of life talk to us about their point of view, because that's the only way that we learn and respect one another. You've been enjoying On the Record with Tiffany. We encourage you to share these stories with friends and family. You can listen to other shows by going to 930amtheanswer.com. And join us next week for On the Record with Tiffany on 930am The Answer.